Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to have all of you here with us. Uh, what we do on our Wednesday night studies is uh, we take a book of the Bible and we go through it one verse at a time, putting it in all, uh, putting it all in context and keeping it together and uh, hopefully bringing the Bible alive to you and putting it in a way so that you can understand it. Uh, and I encourage people, after we've gone through uh, a book of the Bible like this, you know, verse at a time. Then go back and just read through it. You'll see how much easier it is. It, it's easy to read through it. You understand it. You start seeing things you hadn't seen before. So it's a great little exercise uh, to do. Now we are in the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis means the beginnings. Uh, it's really a, uh, uh, a history of where everything came from and how do we get to where we are is kind of where it is. And when I say to where we are, it's to where we are or were like six thousand years ago whatever the time five six thousand years ago this is moses putting all these uh records together uh and then we hit exodus which is the story of moses and anyway the first five books of the bible are basically considered uh authored by moses and put together by moses um you can tell in genesis how uh, it seems like he took certain records and and kind of stuck them together because they kind of overlap and start and restart in different ways uh, obviously he wasn't there when he saw all of these things but all of this is to give us a sense of who are we where do we come from how did we get here and in particular he focuses on the birth of the Jewish nation uh, how did they get here how did Moses wind up here how did the Jews go on to become the people of God and, and eventually the Messiah the Lord Jesus comes through them so that's, that's where all of that is about now we're reading about Jacob Jacob eventually uh, um Gets his name changed to Israel. This is where we get the nation of Israel. It's about this guy, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and then the next generation is Jacob. Jacob has uh, 12 sons. That's where you get the 12 tribes of Israel. Now at this point he has um, 11 sons. We haven't seen the 12 ones show up yet. And uh, we, we were talking about how, remember Jacob and Esau had this big fight. And Jacob ran away from Esau. Because he basically tricked him, or however you want to view it, into giving up his birthright. And Esau wanted to kill him. And so he was gone for a long time. You know, I can't remember what the 20 some years or whatever the deal was. Certainly he worked just for 14 years, just for the two wives, uh, Leah and Rachel, and then stuck around for a while. And eventually he starts heading home. And uh, he's scared to death of going home. God told him to go home, but he thought, yikes, you know, Esau's going to kill me uh, because he's really mad at me. And had threatened to kill him. And then he prayed to God and reminded God. God remember you said you would bless me. You would protect me. And he starts. One of the first examples of. In prayer. Saying back to God what God had already said. It's a great way to pray. That's why it's a wonderful thing about learning the scriptures. And learning the promises of God. Saying Lord Jesus you said this in your word you spoke these words now make these words real to me it's a very very powerful and effective way to pray so anyway he's going back um he sees uh he splits up everybody because he's afraid that whoever gets attacked Esau will attack them then the other ones can escape anyways he gets everything all set up just before he sees Esau he has this uh encounter with God uh it's a situation where he wrestles with this angel and we talked about this last week, about 
uh, how powerful of an event this is in the scripture. We talk about Jacob wrestling with God. And how he wrestled with him all night long. And the Bible says uh, the angel could not overpower him. It's really more, I don't think, so much a matter of not being able to overpower him. Surely the angel could overpower him. But it's really so much a matter of the guy wouldn't give up. He just wouldn't get up, give up. And uh, at one point, uh, the angel, you know, creates a great pain in his, his hip by knocking his hip out of socket and stuff. And he still wouldn't give up. And the angel says, let go of me already. I got to get out of here. He says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And we talked about the importance of having this tenacity in your faith. Faith of wrestling with God, of hanging on, of being determined. I call it being a chihuahua for Jesus. And, uh, you know, just uh, one of these little dogs that, that never gives up or lets up. And uh, I talk about the importance of this in every area of your life, in your spiritual life. I even mentioned about it in terms of uh, your marriage relationship. Boy, if you don't have this idea settled in your head that there is no back door, there's no way out for us. That's what you've got to do. A lot of people, they keep this back door open in their head. If it gets too bad, I'm out of here. If I get bummed up, bummed out enough, I'm out of here. If I don't get my needs met, I'm out of here. If I'm not respected the way I think I should be respected, I'm out of here. You stay like that. It's like drawing a big target on your chest. And Satan will come after you with everything he's got. And make your life hell, make your marriage hell. Why? Because he knows if he gets enough pressure, you give up. And that's why we talked about this last week. That's why some marriages seem to always be under attack. Always under attack. Always under attack. Why are people's marriages are my marriage isn't under attack all the time, and lots of people I know their marriages aren't under attack. Why are these people? I'm convinced because they know. See, because Satan can see what's in your head. He hears your thoughts, and if he knows I got a way out, if I don't get what I want, I'm out of here. Boy, the pressure will come. The key to not only in that area of your life, but in your faith. Same way, a lot of people say, "Well, I'll serve God as long as I don't get cancer, or as long as I, I don't I get into financial trouble, or as long as you know." They've got these little contingencies in their heads. And as soon as you've got a little contingency in your head, some of you aren't even aware of the contingencies. But boy, that's when the heat comes. Because Satan knows if I apply enough pressure, he'll give up. She'll quit. And that's when you're in big trouble. You've got to close the doors. I am committed to God. I'm going to do what God says. I don't care what. I promise you there is no back door in my wife's and I marriage. That door was closed and it's a big iron door. And then we took a big welding torch and we welded it shut. And then we built bricks around it. There's no back door. It's just a big fat wall. Smash your head against it. It's all there is. Nobody's going anywhere in this thing. Nobody gets out alive. <laughs> only out in a body bag. That's the only way we get out of this deal. You get that kind of tenacity in your marriage, that kind of tenacity in your faith, that kind of ten- really this kind of tenacity, any area of your life. It can be in your job, it can be in your career. Anybody who is successful at anything gets there on purpose. It doesn't just happen. Of, you've heard me talk about this before. You know, people think, well, gee, that, that guy over there, he's, he's got a successful business. What a lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, it was all luck. Like my foot, if you ever started a business, you don't know what a trip to hell's yet. It's rough. It's hard. You know, they got to work really, really hard. Well, that guy's really lucky because he gets that. That guy's really lucky because he gets that. That guy's lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My foot, they work hard. They're committed. They're tenacious. And uh, anyway, I, I, I had the fun with this talking about this Chihuahua for Jesus thing. And someone gave me a button before church here. It says, Chihuahua for Jesus. 
Isn't it cute? And, uh, uh, and then somebody else uh, gave me this. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> I love it. Anyway, all right, all you chihuahua freaks out there. Okay, there we go. So now, going on now. So Jacob finally meets with Esau. Esau's happy to see him. There's forgiveness. They reconnect. And uh, uh, so Esau goes on. Jacob goes slower because he's got the family and all the cattle and everything else that he's bringing with him. And they, they come to this town called Shechem. That's in Canaan. It's called the city of Shechem. Shechem is uh, uh, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, who uh, names the city after his son. And uh, we're going to pick up now in chapter 34. It's where we left off last week. Now, we, the Bible's always in these genealogies very careful always to mention the boys. Because everything keyed off the guys, the firstborn sons in particular. And then we go through the sons of who, who was born to who and that kind of thing. Uh, hardly ever mentions the girls, but there were plenty of them to be had, I'm sure. I don't know how many children Jacob had. He might have had just a whole slew of them, more than the 12 boys. But uh, the girls generally don't get mentioned unless there's something significant about them. And we did read early on that somewhere along the line, Leah had a girl named Dinah. Now, again, it could have been several girls, but as soon as I, we got there, remember I told you, watch it now, because we're going to come back and we're going to be talking about Dinah. And we're about to hit her right now in chapter 34. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had been born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. What land? This is the land of Canaan. They stopped here. They're waiting. They're kind of chilling out for a while. They bought some property. They're kind of hanging out by the city of Shechem. Well, when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, uh, ruler of that area, this is the son that the city was named after, when he saw Dinah, he took her and violated her. He raped her. All right? And then verse 3, I mean, there's, there's so many odd, strange, wacko, dysfunctional things that we read in Genesis. And this is another one in the wacko category. But so he takes her and he rapes her. And then it says, his heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. And he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. He just raped her. He raped her and then felt an attraction to her of the heart. Now... This is sick at so many levels, it just boggles the imagination. But clearly not unique to mankind, for there are people today, men today, who brutally treat women, men who disrespect women, men who uh, diss their wives, uh, treat them very badly. Some even beat physically their wives and then come back later and suddenly are very tender and kind to them. These are very dysfunctional men that quite frankly need their butts kicked. But this is nothing new to mankind. Certainly we see this here. But sadly we have these kind of scenarios yet to this day. And uh, and let me encourage you ladies, and, and uh, I've talked about this before, but uh, what, one of the things that we need as part of a church, 
and, and I, I get, I don't know how many of you have ever listened into my radio program and stuff that I do on, on Tuesday mornings on the internet and stuff, but the number of calls that I get and emails that I get from women all over the country talking about how men have been so cruel and abusive to them, and we're talking Christian men and women, we're talking people in the church, we're not talking about pagans here. Where this behavior goes on in the church and the girl is so frustrated and she, she doesn't know what to do. What do I do? And she's hoping for some kind of magic formula. But what I've been re- recommending to these women to do is something that, quite frankly, will be difficult for them to do. Because most churches are kind of clueless. But I tell them, you know what you need to do? You need to go to your pastor and to the men of your church and tell them what he's doing to you. And then those men ought to go jerk the slack out of the boy. Are you hearing me? You want a men's ministry. To me, that's a men's ministry. I don't think a men's... I think a men's ministry is less about having a meeting every Saturday morning or some games that we go play. I'm not against those kind of things, but real men's ministry... See, because church should really be an extended family. And I promise you, if my sister was being pummeled, she'd come tell us boys... And then we'd have a come to meet in Jesus with the brother-in-law. Are you hearing me? We would. But a lot of women don't even have that kind of strong family structure anymore. But they ought to happen in the church. Now granted, if you're married to a guy who's a pagan and a heathen and not part of the church, there's not a whole lot we can do. But when, if you are coming to this church and you have a man who curses at you, humiliates you, treats you physically in a horrible way, you need to come and see me. And then I want to go talk to this boy and jerk the slack out of him. And I'm serious as a heart attack. I'm just waiting for the first one of you to do it. Just waiting for the first one. And I want to, and then we'll call the guy in. I'll get Kabir and Donald. We'll go lay hands on him or something. <laughs> Hey, brother, we want to have a word with you. Do you mind? You know, I'm, I'm serious. And if he doesn't straighten out, I'll stick his face up on the gemotron up here on a Sunday morning. And tell everybody, you see this guy? He's treating his wife like garbage. I want you to all tell him how ashamed you are of him. I'm serious. I am not kidding. Say, would you do that to somebody with a smile on my face? Why? Because this nonsense has got to stop. If you can't behave in a a sensible, respectful way to the wife of your youth, then we need to talk to you and confront you and if need be, embarrass you in front of the whole church. And if that doesn't do it, we'll kick you out of the church. We will not tolerate this kind of behavior. Not in any way, shape, or form. And all you women need to know that those men sitting around you are your brothers. We are your brothers and we will not tolerate that kind of behavior. And you men had better not be acting that way to your wives. Seriously, what a difference that would make. You know what happens though? A lot of women go to their pastors and the pastors don't have... uh, I was going to say something. (laughs) I will say, they don't have a pair. That's their problem. They don't. They're emasculated cowards that are afraid of confrontation and stuff. And most of these women won't get any results if they go to their pastor. And the pastor will sit there and just tell them to get over it. 
But we need men acting like real men. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. Real men need to challenge real men sometimes to behave properly. And this is actually historical in the church. You can read a Puritan times where women would come forward and say their husbands are not treating them in a certain way. They would bring them in front of the church and humiliate the guy. Put the fear of God in all the other guys, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Moving on. So when this guy suddenly falls in love with the girl he rapes, takes advantage, and Shechem then says to his father, Hamor, give me this girl as my wife. Yeah, this one that I just raped. I kind of like this one. You can imagine what a quality gentleman this guy was. Well, when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what happened. They were filled with grief and fury. You don't mess with our sister. Because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, my, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. and Please give her to him as his wife. and Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourself. Remember, they parked outside the city in Canaan and thought, well, these guys are going to stick around for a while. Let's, let's intermarry and let's be friends and, and it'll all be cool. And you can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in, trade in it, acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, uh, let me find favor in your eyes. It's the very guy who just raped their sister. Comes to them and says, you know, let me find favor in your eyes. Let's get along and I'll give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like. I'll pay whatever you ask for me. Only give me this girl as my wife. So he's offering them money now. You just tell me how much you want. Well, because their, their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's son replied, deceitfully you say why is that because you're about to find out what they do which is pretty funny I think but let's not rush ahead of ourselves here they they were they replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamar in other words they didn't play their furious uh, furious brothers okay they're in a strange land they're a little bit outnumbered here there's just 12 of the brothers but they are ticked and these guys are suddenly coming up and trying to make nice. And they said, well, uh, listen, uh, we can't do such a thing. We, we can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. You know, that would be a disgrace to us. <laughs> Someone's already figuring out ahead. Here we go. Uh, we will give our consent to you only on one condition. That... You become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll we'll settle among you. We'll become one people with you. We'll be buds. Let the love flow. Just feel the love. Can you feel the love? But if you will not agree to be circumcised, then then we've got to take our sister and go. Well, now they got him kind of over the barrel here because the guy, he wants the girl and he's behaved shamelessly and he's trying to cover the deal. And so anyway, their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man who was the most honored of all his father's household lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's Jacob's, Jacob's daughter. What the world is that? Jacob's daughter 
So Hamar and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to their fellow townsmen. (laughs) How do you make this sale? (laughs) They said, look, these these men are friendly towards us. And uh, let them live in our land and trade in it. The the land has plenty of room for them. And and we can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. It'll be good for business. It's all about the business. It'll be good for business. But the men will consent to live with us only under one condition, that we cut off the end of our wieners. As they themselves have already done. <laughs> it's like, you want what? Now won't their livestock, their property, and all their animals become ours? It was all about the money, see? It was about business. Great business opportunity. These are good people. They got a lot of money. We can tap into this. Wealthy families, come on. So let's give our consent to them and then they'll settle among us. Now that wouldn't sell me. But apparently it sold these guys. So all the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem and every male in the city was circumcised. Well three days later while all of them were still in pain Uh, which was was all part of the plan see there's a lot of these guys there's 12 of us in our our gang but we got to get revenge there's a whole slew in this city let's all get them to snip snip and then when they're sitting there really sore we'll go have a come to Jesus meeting with them So two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. How many brothers did this? (laughs) When two guys are going to wipe out a whole city, man, you really stack the odds here. These boys were so sore they couldn't move. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. These two brothers went in there ticked off as they could be to get revenge on their sister and kill the whole lot of them and their sore wieners. <laughs> they put Hamar and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. They went and got the girl. Hoo-ah. So if we come to talk to you and start talking circumcision, you better straighten up. We're not going to kill you. We just want to talk to you. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. So they thought, hey, here's big money. So the rest of the brothers came in and said, hey, woo, let's take the cash. So they seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. And they carried off all their wealth and all their women and children taking as plunder everything in the houses. They wiped this city clean. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, what have you guys done? You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. You've caused a bad situation here. But they replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? No apologies. 
Anyway, that's the end of that story. Apparently they didn't come all after him. My guess is it scared the willies out of everybody. <laughs> they didn't want to mess with these guys. Pretty wild, huh? Well, then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Come on, none of that nonsense. We don't need these gods and stuff. Purify yourselves, change your clothes, then come up, let's go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they sent out, uh, set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. <laughs> Yeah, they found out what they did to these guys. Everybody got a little freaked. Don't mess with these guys. They don't play clean. Well, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and there he called the place El Bethel, uh, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, backing up another generation here. Rebecca had already died, but... Um, now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died and was buried under the oak below Bethel. Uh, so the name, so they called it Alan Bakath. Um, you know, there's no reason that I can see why this is even there, just out of uh, uh, respect for Deborah, who by now obviously was an old lady. And uh, this was the lady who would taken care of grandma, and they loved her and buried her there. Uh, Alan Bakath means oak of weeping. And they, were, they wept for her there. Well, after Jacob returned to Pat and Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God told him again this. He says, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And so he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will come from your body. The land I give to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. He basically passes on the promises that he started with Abraham and to his son Isaac, and now he gives to Jacob, who he now calls Israel. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at that place where God had talked to him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it, and Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Okay, now, then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still in some distance from Ephraim, Rachel, who now is pregnant, uh, begins to give birth to the final son, the twelfth son, the twelfth son of Israel. And she begins to give birth and is having great difficulty. She dies giving birth to Benjamin here. And this is the one that uh, Jacob had had loved so much. Uh, um, You know, he loved Rachel and... uh, but also wound up marrying Leah and also got the other two girls, which were their handmaidens as they got into the baby wards there and stuff. So they're all essentially his wives, but the one he favored was Rachel. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid for you have another son. And uh, as she breathed her last, for she was dying, she called... Uh, she named her son Ben-Oni, which means son of my trouble. But his father named him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, Ephrath that is Bethlehem. Uh, 
Over her tomb, where Jesus was born, by the way, over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Uh, now, whether that's true to this day, I don't know, but five, 6,000 years ago, that was still contemporary at that time. All right, uh, and then it says Israel moved on again. Now they're calling him Israel, uh, although it jumps around a little bit with Israel and Jacob. Uh, Israel moves on again and pitches tent beyond Mig- <coughs> Migdal Eder. Uh, and then we have this little strange verse here. <coughs> Excuse me. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben, one of his sons, goes in and have, has sex with his father's concubine, Billa, which is one of the uh, maidservants that the Rachel and Leah had that had given to him. And uh, so he goes in and he basically sleeps with his, has sex with his stepmom. And, uh, and Israel heard of it. And then it just moves on. Uh, I remember when I was first looking at this, I'm thinking, why are they telling us this? What's the point? Uh, just a kind of bizarre thing. He, Reuben does this disgusting thing. Israel knows about it. Uh, and then they just move on with the story. Well, you will see as we get a little bit later into this that when, is, when Jacob, who's now Israel, blesses his sons as he dies, he doesn't bless um, Reuben, but uh, curses him because of what he did. And so it makes sense then. You, you got to see why he did that to him because of this inappropriate behavior that he had okay so now we finally have the 12 sons Jacob has 12 sons the sons of Leah Reuben the firstborn of Jacob Simeon Levi Judah Issachar Zebulun the sons of Rachel Joseph and Benjamin the son of Rachel's maidservant Billa Dan and Naphtali and the sons of Leah's maidservant Zilpah Gad and Asher these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre near whatever, I can say all that stuff because I can't say it. Where Abraham and Isaac had stayed, Isaac lived 180 years, then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Ta-da! Now you think we would be done with the story. We're not done with the story. We will see that it kind of starts over again in just a little bit. Uh, as we find out more details. Again, this is where you get the sense of that Moses, when he compiled this, took different accounts and kind of put them together because they would kind of start and stop again and start in odd, odd kind of ways. Uh, so um, we'll, we'll hear about this in just a second. Now, then in the, in the next chapter, it just goes all the way through and tells about uh, the descendants of Esau. Uh, we're not going to read it because, first of all, I can't even say the names. Secondly, we don't care. Okay, there's, there's nothing really super amazing in this. The reason why they were giving this, remember, this is the book of beginnings. How did everything get to the way it was? The was at that time, five, six thousand years ago, exactly what the time frame is. And, uh, um, you know, there are certain people in the land. There's these people and there's these people and these people and da-da-da-da. And you've got, you know, the, uh, uh, the Edomites and these mites and the, you know, Hittites and the... Termites and whatever, all these different things. And, and he, in, through this, by following the genealogy from the beginning, he could point to where all of these different nations come from. And they go through this whole line of Esau, and you can see it as the last verse of, uh, of uh, chapter 30, uh, 36, verse 43, um, the last line there. Uh, this was 
Esau, the father of the Edomites. So it kind of basically shows where the Edomites came from and blah, 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 blah. Anyway. So anyway, we pick it up here now. Remember, we just finished the story of Jacob, right? Well, then it says, chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Hello? What do you mean? Well, here again, it's like they took in these things. We saw it from the very beginning with the, uh, the account of, of the uh, creation, where God created a man and, and, and all, of, all the animals and, and mankind, and then it says, well, here is the account of creation. Well, you just told us the account of creation. Well, it was a little bit different twist on it. We got more detail, and, and we see this throughout the book of Genesis. Um, so now we have the account of Jacob. Then it goes and does nothing but talk about Joseph. For many chapters. And you're going, what are you doing here? This is supposed to be the account of Jacob. Why are you talking about Joseph? Because this account basically, to, as this is recorded, focuses on Joseph that we learned how Jacob winds up in Egypt. Okay? And how the children of Israel wind up in Egypt. Why is that significant? Because Moses is born where? In Egypt. When they were all slaves. How did we all get here? Again, the point of Genesis, the beginnings, this is how we get to where we are uh, in this point of thing. So this account now is the account of Jacob, but it's all through the eyes of, uh, and in the account of Joseph, because uh, Joseph is the reason that they wound up in Egypt. So now we're going to start the story of Joseph. Okay, so here we go. Joseph, this is the first son of who? Anybody remember? Rachel. Okay, and Papa favored uh, Rachel, and of course favors his first son through Rachel. Um, this is now Joseph, a young man of 17 now here. So we're kind of backing up the clock a little bit here. Young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Uh, so he's basically hanging out with his stepbrothers, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Uh, in other words, he tattled on them. Yeah. Dad! Billy's kids and Zilpah's kids wasn't doing something right. All right. So right after the bat, the kid's a snitch, okay? And, and it's just the start of it, because he so irritated his brothers, they all tried to kill him. And uh, he's trying to give just a context here. Joseph would kind of stick it in their eyes a little bit. He's probably a bit spoiled, to say the least, because Dad, who is the patriarch of the entire clan, likes me best. So anyway, now Israel, it says, who's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had, him, had been born to him in his old age. Yeah, actually, Benjamin would have been even in his older age. Uh, both the sons of Rachel, but really I think this is about the fact that this is Rachel's first boy. Okay, remember the first, always got this favorite thing. So anyway, he loves him uh, more than any of his other sons. Apparently everybody knows it, all the other boys know it, which again, dysfunction again to me, why people would even say that. Don't say that about your children, I like my one kid better than you. Oh, my goodness, some parents need their heads in the toilet and flushed a few times. <laughs> Talking to their kids. Well, I really, I can't be like your brother. I like him. 
I can't be like your sister. I really like her. Man, don't you dare talk to your kids in those terms. You love all your kids the same. So that one makes me crazy. I don't care. You love them the same. Don't do this kind of stuff to people. But anyway, this is what Israel did. And anyway, he uh, made a richly ornamented robe for him. This is the coat of many colors. This is the fancy coat that Joseph had. So not only did Papa like him better, not only was a little snot, a little snitch, he walked around. Daddy likes me better than (laughs) y'all. So anyway, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Nobody wanted to talk to him. Little snot. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Why? Because, well, listen to the dream. He said, listen to this dream I had, guys. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while all of your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Yes, how to win friends and influence people. (laughs) You idiot, they hate you already. And now you're having dreams of how they're all going to bow down and worship you. Well, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Well, actually he does. (laughs) We see that as we go along here, but these were dreams God was giving him. He probably should have kept his mouth shut. But anyway, they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. I mean, it's bad enough that you were hated in the first place. Now I hate you even more. They're not doing well. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Again, not a good plan. Listen, he says, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Not only, not only you guys bowing down to me, Ma and Paul Kittle, they're there too, and they're bowing down. And when he told his father this as well, as his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem remember Shechem and Israel says to Joseph as you know your brothers are grazing the flock near Shechem come I'm going to send you to them very well he replied so by the way his brothers are out there working he's back hanging back by Paul again a favored child so he says go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word to me. No, just go check on them. Check on them. <laughs> because they can't stand him in the first place. Now he just shows up. La, 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 how's everybody doing? Dad wants to know. Well, then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing with their flocks? Well, they've moved on from here, the man answered. I think I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. 
Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, when Reuben heard this, he's the oldest one, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Well, Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So he was really kind of intervening here. Don't kill him, just throw him in this big hole and leave him alone. And so he's hoping to talk them into this so that when they all threw him down there and walked away, that he'd go back later and get him and, and pull him back out. So Reuben, even though he was a pervert with the uh, stepmom, uh, wasn't all bad apparently. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. That would have been the fancy la 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 robe. And the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? Here's a caravan of some of his descendants. Coming from Gilead on their camels. I can hear the music already. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. They were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And uh, Judah and his brothers, uh, Judah said to his brothers, Hey, listen, what good will it do us if we kill him and cover up his blood? I got a better plan. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brother said, Okay. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels, 20 pieces of silver. Does that sound familiar? 20 pieces of silver? Where do you hear that on later on? Yeah. Um, so anyway, he sells him for the 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Then Reuben returns to the cistern because what? He's going to go get him and pull him out. Well, he saw that Joseph wasn't there. And he tore his clothes. He freaks. Ah! And he went back to his brothers. He's not there! What, 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 where can I turn now? He starts to freak out. Then the brother, then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they took the uh, ornamented robe back to their father and said, Look, we found this. Examine it to see if if it's your son's robe. Does this robe look familiar? Does it, yeah, look what we found. There's blood on his... Does, does this rec- do you recognize this? And in verse 33, he did recognize it. And he said, this is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tears his clothes. That's what they would do. They'd freak. They would rip just like Reuben ripped his clothes when they would freak. And, uh, you know, and, and, and for mourning and stuff like that. And uh, so he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his sons, uh, mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters. Ding, 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 ding. We only heard of the one, remember? They just don't mention them because they're girls. Sorry. That's what they did back then. Uh, and they all came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Okay, now, uh, so this sets it up. And now we're going to be reading this incredible story of Joseph. And ooh, what a powerful story it is. 
I mean, granted, he didn't need to be quite the snot that he was that got him in trouble. And, uh, but I think God knew exactly the kind of guy he was and what he would do. And it actually caused him to wind up in this trouble. But God takes this guy and he gives him this dream of becoming something great. And somehow God using him. And somehow his family coming to him and bowing before him. And here you would think, God has shown me these great things. But now he starts to go through hell. First of all, his brothers hate him. They threaten to kill him. They sell him as a slave. And we're going to read how he went through this experience. Quite a dreadful, miserable, disgusting experience. But even in the midst of of what people would define as their greatest failures in life, this boy never lost his spirit. He never lost who he was. He knew what God had spoken to him on the inside. And no matter what pile of waste they threw him into, he would always rise to the top. The scum always rises to the top. Hallelujah. And this boy, and, and God actually takes him uh, into Egypt and puts him as the most arguably one of the most powerful men in the world at that time. And we're going to read this journey when we come back next week and see how he, he went through this incredible journey. It should be a real encouragement to you. Because again, it's like the story of Joseph wrestling with the angel. You, we see this over and over again. You know, it's easy to look at how people get, all of a sudden, boom, they get these great blessings and stuff. But it's interesting to read sometimes the struggles that they went through. Because most people, sadly, if we experience enough failure, enough discouragement, enough things don't quite work for me, most people give up. Again, it's one of the reasons Satan attacks some people so intensely. His goal is to get you to give up. But we need to have the attitude in our hearts and minds, I will never, ever, ever give up. And we see that Joseph never gives up, even under some a very, very icky circumstances. He starts out very icky here in the first place, and uh, we'll pick that up again next week. Let's have our uh, ushers come down at this time, and we'll take our Wednesday night offering, an opportunity for you to give into the kingdom of God. It's a way of honoring God. The Bible teaches us, doesn't matter who you are, where you're at in life. God speaks to us and expects all men and women to show respect to God and to honor God back a portion of the gifts that God has given us into our lives. So we give an opportunity for you to give. A lot of you, uh, the only time you can even come on uh, during the week because of work schedules and stuff is Wednesday nights, which is fine. Some of you actually prefer to come on Wednesday nights instead of Sundays, which is also fine with me. I'm just glad that you come. Uh, But I just want to give you an opportunity for you to be able to honor God and respect God and thank Him for the blessings in your life life remember just as the more you honor god and respect god even in scary times like what we've been having financially in our country and stuff and and god only knows where all this is going to go but i'll tell you what you don't want your hope and trust in money you want your hope and trust in god and just to say god whatever whatever you bless me with be it great or be it small i will honor you with what you bless me with Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your gifts to us. Blessing us the way that you have, Lord. Making our lives significant. Helping us to be able to earn 
our bread and provide for our families and keep our commitments. Thank you for your abundant hand, God. We thank you for how kind you are to us and how you often bless us far beyond anything we deserve. But Lord, tonight, as a portion, as a way of honoring and respecting you, God, we give back a portion of that which you have blessed us with. Lord, use this money for the advancement of your kingdom. Change lives, we pray, with the good news of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, Amen.